0: Ah, yeah. <laughs> I know we made a huge impact over there. Um, Andy was referred to as the white African. By the time we got there, he was really in the stride. He knew the language and knew how, how to get around. And so we were on our back foot for a while. But once the men left, our woman, boy, were they great. They really rose up. Four grandmas. It was a challenge to them. But over there, grandmas are just they sit there and do nothing just look after the babies they couldn't get over four grandmas that had so much life and fire and energy and for the holy ghost of power wow they were challenging themselves each one of them had a unique gifting barbara as soon as she sees everybody she's got a big grin hello how are you what's your name and do you know jesus (laughs) and she was the evangelist plus Elaine was awesome at getting people baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And Rosemary is in her forte getting people healed. She's the nurse of the team, always has a passion for healing. So um, whenever we had older calls, we had different categories and they went in their area. And Elaine and I, well, actually the whole team took part of every meeting. So I think it was awesome to have a team. Where we stayed in the Starlight place down the road from Friends Inn, every single worker there was baptized in the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues by the time we left. <laughs> The cleaners, the cooks, the manager. The manager, the day he got baptized in the Holy Spirit, prayed for a family member and had them healed. So, I mean, I think Elaine's keen to go back and have some prayer meetings with them. When I got picked up to go to the radio station one night, Barbara had been out to the sentry on the gate, Nan standing with the gun, and he was praying in tongues and then trying to read his Holy Ghost book by the light of the window that was inside, trying to read his book he'd just been given. So we made an awesome impact that the, the um, Pastors Wives Conference, we had a Pastors Wives and Leaders Conference, I think was really impacting because their lifestyles are so different. You never saw husband and wife sitting together. The men are notoriously, apparently, lazy, <laughs> but I think they're supposed to go out and find work while the women run the homes. They carry all the wood, they carry something on the... A good woman there can carry something on her head, cart all the wood, and have a stick to deal with the stakes. <laughs> So, and they really are hardworking women, and I think they have a lot of inner bitter roots towards men who have treated them really, really bad. Because everybody there still pays a dowry. I said to John, will you get the dowry for your orphans? He said, I don't believe in the dowry, because the men think they own you, and if they've paid for you, you've got to work for them for the rest of your life, you know. So it's a horrible concept, really. But one of the young pastors there was trying to get his dowry together, three cows and three goats, I think, so he could get married. It would take him a long time to earn that. But, uh, yes, we went out to a lot of the country churches, amazing experience going way out these terrible country roads. But you'd be a 100 people there that have been waiting five hours for you to come. And everywhere we went, heaps of them, ended up speaking in tongues and being healed with quite miraculous healings. And it was just an amazing experience. And once you do it every day, boy, you get on a roll. By the time we finished, we were used to the interpreter and the simple words we had to use and what have you. But anyway, I'm supposed to talk about orphans. So um, the orphan experience sort of grew. Um, the day after the men left, they took us out to the orphan village where we'd all been on the Sunday. On the Sunday, we gave all the orphans little gifts. Well, on a on couple of days later they were still clutching their tiny wee plastic toy as their most treasured possession they'd ever had You know, they were just so, so poor they took us back to the village and visiting the homes where a lot of the orphans live and the local schools they go to and it was so impacting to see where they live I mean we saw one home there's a man dying of AIDS sitting there and he'd had orphans the whole thing was totally dirt dirt floor, dirt walls Not a colour, not a toy, not a book to be seen. Just totally stark. And this dear old dying man was sitting there. The children just have a mat on the floor and all just line up together and a blanket if they're lucky. And that's that's where they live. And all the food is just what they grow. So every day the mother and the children are out there ploughing the ground, growing crops so they can live off the beans and the rice and the... Whatever they grow, really. So it's as poor as poor. And then we saw the schools that they go to. And I've never seen a public school so poor. Um, there's one classroom, about 100 children, not even a desk. They're all sitting on the floor. Imagine your children trying to learn to write sitting on the floor. And not all of them, of course, even had a book or a pencil. And there wasn't even a thing on the walls, not a book inside, even in the school. It was as Stark and as poor as as you could expect it. Some of the classes did have some desks, and you'd have about six or eight kids squashed on a bench desk. So it's so, so poor. Some of the Christians there had started a, a Christian school to give an opportunity for some secondary school students to actually attend the school. But it's totally chalk and talk, nothing else. A blackboard, a piece of chalk is all you see. They might have a textbook between six or eight people, but I didn't even see any textbooks, no computer, no textbooks. Nothing, just a very small classroom, a blackboard and chalk. This was secondary school kids. But at least they were getting some education and very thankful for it. So it was an amazing level of poverty, which is hugely impacting to see. And then, of course, you go into one of these little huts and there a woman dying there. Not a window, nothing, just a tatty mattress. And she was like a skeleton with skin on it, you know, just, just so, so thin. And um, just so dark, and I thought, of a terrible way to, to die. Just depended on a grandson to hopefully bring something for her. But as, as we went back, I was really pleased we invested in another night in Kampala so we could visit a couple of orphanages. And the next one we visited on the way back to Kampala was, again, hugely impacting. There are 100 children under four. <laughs> Imagine all these little ones. It's the um, orphanage that uh, Jenny and Rod Hickman's friend Um, have had a a strong investment in from um, America. So it was great to see what difference a a church in America can make. It's only a small church, but we visited their friends in America. This pastor's wife had a garage full of of stuff she'd got given from Walmart and shops, and twice a year they sent a container over, and she goes with it. So when you pull up to this Orphanage. It had beautifully kept gardens. You opened the gate and there were actually toys, push-along toys for these little toddlers. And it had such a, a standard, it would be more like, you know, we're used to. There's the lovely things on the walls. But, you know, to go and see, they had about, I suppose, 20 children under one in a separate area. And they were just kicking and doing what under one's do. And uh, then they had a glory kitchen where they produce all the food. Um, four washing machines, which are going non-stop, and then we went in and watched them having their tea time, and then the under ones, one to two year olds, it must have been twenty-five, thirty little children lined up on, not high chairs, they were low chairs, they had a little tray in front, two big rows of these little black faces, and one of the uh, helpers was trying to feed about three at once, and they would just looked so well fed and, and happy little children. But um, if one of them was running around, they'd grab your hand and want to show you their bed. This is my bed. I've got a space in this world that's mine, you know. And it would be a a bunk, two-tier bunks, probably 25 in a room of beds. But to have their own little space. It was just a bed and a mattress, nothing else. But it was so precious to them to have their own space. And if you pick them up, oh, they melted in. They didn't want you to let them go. They were so hungry for love. But they were loved in that place. And I suppose because they had so many under fours, they could have a good team on two shifts, so they were getting 24-hour care. These children were found in rubbish dumps, left at the gate of the orphanage, uh, passed on by the hospital if their mother had died at birth or got mental or something like that. Just, just children that were just arriving on their doorstep almost daily, but they didn't turn anybody away. They were called welcome home, though they'd go through the official police and get them properly um, passed on to them. And then I saw the um, three and four-year-olds being fed. And again, you had about six at a little wee small bench and some with spoons and some with hands. But they were happily all being fed and looked after. And certainly a lovely, happy environment in this place. It was um, just lovely to see these kids being loved and, and a totally Christian environment and looked after. But to see so many of them all so young, it was, it was huge. But then the final place we went to was what Gary um, Springer, was it? Skinner was talking about when he was here at Firefall last year. And this is a well-developed, established complex which has been running for some time. So, I mean, we're pioneers. We're starting on that bit of land that we saw, actually, in those slides. It was just a bare bit of land. But I was really thrilled that Pastor John could see what a finished product could look like. I could see his mind expanding as we just went from orphanage to orphanage. I don't think he even thought beyond even a poverty level. But even to see the second one that was so well um, replenished with lovely things. But the final one was a tremendous um, finished product. We drove into the grounds, and and Gary's got three, I think, at least three of these complexes, villages. The Waitoto Choir that comes from the school, they've actually got three choirs that go around, and and they will be selling things as well as, as raising money. But um, the school was beautiful. It was a Christian school, only about 25 to a classroom, a good theme for each year, and um, just beautifully equipped school. And then they had a medical center, and then they had a school hall, which is where they have their lunches during the day, recreational activities, and then church on Sundays. So like this whole village was catering for the needs of, of the whole families, plus about a quarter of the congregation on Sundays are from the the local village and then we saw um, four rings of nine homes it was an awesome concept to get a home and then form it in a ring and then you've got um, nine mothers with eight children in each home and these mothers are taught parenting schools they're they have a cell group every week. They're actually having the cell group. When we went there on a Monday morning, they're uh, supported by the church. They're prayed for. The youth leader was um, escorting us around, so they've got good role models and men that are working with the mums. And it was just such a, a hugely successful com- uh, combination. And, um, and you could see as they build a little wee complex like that, they, they actually issue their weekly food to everybody. So in one home, they have a boy's dorm, a girl's dorm, and a mother's room. They still all cook over their fire with coals and stones and everything, just a pile of beans and rice and whatever they've been given. But it was such a, a positive environment. And I thought, that's what we can do on that bare land. You know, we're going to pioneer. One house would be, say, 18 to 20000 New Zealand money, a nice brick house that would go on and on and on. If we get one house a year and then gradually build up a circle of houses and then on the rest of the land they could develop school and training centres, but the finished product was so encouraging to see how it, how it works and how it could look. And, um, and, but even if we start on one house and, and the children getting sponsored, say, 180 a year, they could go to a local school and start to get educated. They'd go out with their mums and start digging the ground and, and feeding themselves of what they grow. And we could make a start without you know, almost from where we are now.